0: Eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. This is Liam Hendricks and you're watching Crosstown, Crosstalk on the Barroom Network.
1: Some may find the following disturbing. Discretion is advised.
0: Every summer in Chicago, The sunshine spotlights the city's spectacular skyline. It's luxurious lake shore. Marvelous monuments. And the over 200 neighborhoods in the city. And it also brings to light two of the greatest sports franchises in the world. On the north side, it's the Cubs. On the south side, it's the White Sox. This is Crosstalk. Hello and welcome to another very exciting episode of Cross Crosstalk presented by the Barroom Network. My name is Vinny Parisi, and it's been a while since we came on this show and just had a good old Chicago White Sox session. Had a couple episodes that were themed around the Cincinnati Reds, and we talk about show all the time. Well, now it's time for a good old Chicago White Sox therapy session. And there's nobody i do it with on this show today than somebody who is well-admired on the Twitterverse, Twitter.com running the Sox on 35th blog, Jordan Lazowski. Jordan, how are we? Thanks for
1: having me on, Vinny. Really appreciate it. Taking a couple um... seconds
0: Jordan to load in here really quick. Sorry. Oh, about that. Can you hear me? Do we have I can hear you. How you doing?
1: Perfect. Good. How are you doing? Sorry. Gotta love the uh everybody at home Wi-Fi situation sometimes. But thanks for having me on, Renny.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um I'm Jordan, really quick, I'm gonna see if I can fix something with the internet here. On here, this is an issue. Jordan, can you hear me? I can hear you. There you go. I'm so sorry about that. Everyone, oh, everybody sometimes, it. sometimes we're just pawns to what's going on with the internet. How you doing, man?
1: Good, can't complain. Always good to talk some baseball, depending on you know the day and the year for the White Sox, obviously, but uh can't complain too much. It's a beautiful day out. There's still baseball. Go from there.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, one thing I wanted to start with before we kind of get into the nitty gritty of talking about the White Sox and how much they suck, um, how do you win Sox math so often?
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, the the process I have behind it, and it's a, it's a dumb science that you get to. Um, I always have hashtag Sox ready in my Twitter. I'm always ready to go there. Um, baseball reference is always pulled up, and over time you kind of learn it's again it's playing too much you you learn sort of what jason might ask about or you know if they won the last day you know that the uh the game before is probably going to be pretty relevant uh so study your stats from that game it's playing the game and then you got to be fast and the struggle for me is usually the adding subtracting multiplying dividing i'm a math major that can't do math um so i've lost a ton of times from like hey we did it the other day i was like 17 times four. And I, was, and I said like 51 or something. And someone goes, hey, that's not right. I'm like, oh, I had the numbers. I don't know how to do the math though. Um, so my hints are always, you know, hashtag SoxMath I already have it in your uh, tweet ready to go. And then have baseball reference pulled up. And then from there, hope you get lucky.
0: Yeah, for sure. Now I've heard like crazy stories of people who like they have a an old like box TV that's just a couple seconds ahead of everybody else streaming or whatever. Are you one of those people too, or is that no?
1: You can't it? win when you're streaming. Uh, you're like th- there are times where I'm streaming the game just from my room. Um, it's like thirty seconds behind. I'm seeing the answers pop up before I even even seen the questions. It's like ah, right, there's no chance I was playing today. So the people who are that dedicated, like who don't watch it on HD or whatever um i I applaud the dedication, uh, but the, i am I have not gotten that
0: far into it that's funny well, Jordan, we can 't thank you enough for coming on our show everyone's such a huge fan of the sox on thirty fifth blog i've been following it for years, especially you know lately when the team started to rebuild, and it became a little fun to be a White Sox fan there for a while and now lately it really hasn 't been so one thing I wanted to kick off with it 's one of the more common debates that goes on on White Sox Twitter in the White Sox universe. White Sox managing, obviously they had Rick Renteria in 2020 and things didn't go all that great for him. They let him go, even though he was a manager of the year nominee. That was probably more because it was like, Hey, the White Sox came out of nowhere to be a playoff team. You know, a lot of times managers like that get nominated for such a thing. Then they move on to Tony La Now we're at Pedro Grafal. Where are you kind of on the whole White Sox managing debate?
1: Yeah, I I think, (coughs) excuse me. I, I think at the end of the day, my opinion has long been, you know, the manager shouldn't matter that much Like in the La Russa days. The, ma- the, the manager was mattering too much for the job that they have. Your, your job is to fill out the line of card and go from them Let the players play. We, we've kind of seen it. Turn back around now with Grafal where there are a lot of people who are supported Tony La were are like, Oh, see, Tony wasn't the problem. Well He was a problem. But, but the reality is, no matter who you brought into the situation, it's like trying to patch a hole on a sinking ship with a bunch of duct tape. Like It's not really fixing the root of the problem that's there. That as this rebuild has started to go on, and this contention window has slowly opened slammed shut, or quickly opened and slammed shut, there's been a lot more understanding that more and more, yes, it's the players that are the root of the problem. We tried switching managers. We, we tried figuring things out um, by just switching, again, just shuffling chairs on the Titanic, essentially. It's like you're getting to a point now where you have to put the blame on the players. You know, is Grafal doing everything well? Absolutely not. Um, he's showing he is a rookie first time manager in many respects I and mean, should be expected, I think, from Sox fans. The reality is, in the past, we always said, oh, the players can overcome whatever managerial. Um, shortcomings they have the reality is this group of players doesn't seem like they can overcome that and whether it's the clubhouse mix or, or the general group of players or the injuries whatever it is it it wouldn't have mattered who was here you can debate you know some of the years of more formative years when La Russa was around um, could that have played a big part I think you can absolutely make that argument but at the end of the day the players on the field have to produce no matter who the manager is
0: That's an outstanding answer, and that's a great way to look at it. I'm with you on that. There are times where it's like, whoa, the manager, uh, you know, they can make an impact on the game. If they're making an impact on the game negatively and it's obvious that that's the case, then you have an issue. But for the most part, you should let players play. And speaking of players playing, what the heck has happened to Tim Anderson over the last 12 months or so?
1: You know, it's a funny question. I I don't think anyone really has the full answer to that. I I think – yeah, these are humans at the end of the day. I'm sure the off-the-field things that he has to deal with are going to affect his play. That, that's a straight-up thing. But at the same time, injuries play a part in it too. And historically, we've seen White Sox players come back from injuries maybe faster than expected or still kind of like maybe only 80 90% versus that full 100% back from an injury those kind of all play factors into it. And I I do think there are some players that, you know, we, we hear about it all the time, needing a change of pace, change of environment, something like that. Not everyone is meant to be a player who plays in the same place forever. I think, you know, whether it's in a work environment or it's in a professional sports environment, like the idea that everyone stays in the same, like at the same company or the same baseball team has really shifted over the years to where, you know, Sometimes you just want that change of pace. And I think that's a third thing. I think the injuries plays a part. I think the off the field stuff plays a part. And I think just, you know, maybe it's time to be somewhere else. You know, this rebuild hasn't been what he wanted. This was supposed to be the time they were winning and they're not. And he's as much to blame for that. But also he's not the only one to blame for that. Um, It's a difficult question because you really don't know what's going on inside his head, especially with how well he started this season. But at the end of the day, it's like, you don't want to make an excuse of injury. You don't want to make an excuse of off the field. You're not performing. And it's frustrating, I'm sure, for him as a player as well. But the idea that he doesn't care or that he's just not good anymore, I, I don't buy into that at all. I think it's more so there are a lot of outside factors beyond just showing up to the field every day and playing baseball. It's like in into win
0: I agree. You don't go from being an all-star game starter, and I know it's voted in, it's objective, fans, whatever. He would have been an all-star last year regardless, and you don't just forget how to play baseball in half a year, and especially at his age, but, you know, it's just tough to watch. Did a little part of you die inside last weekend when they took the Grand Slam away from him by it being foul ball?
1: I, I think for all fans, it's like, wow, he's. It's. it was kind of like everyone has that hump they're trying to get over, and you're like, oh, is this, is, like, He's finally hit the homer. Like, now he gets going, things like that, and it's taken away. It's like, that's just the epitome of being a Sox fan right now. Everything looks good, and then it just snatched right away from you.
0: That's hilarious. Another player that's a polarizing figure to talk about is Lucas Giolito. Giolito, he was below standards by his standards last year. I mean, there were times where he was borderline terrible, but then there were times where he looked like the old Giolito. But this year, he's been mostly really good, and he might be – One of the, if not the top arms available at the trade deadline this year, if the White Sox decide to go that route, where are you on Giolito's bounce back season? Are you kind of like, well, he only really had one bad year out of the last five. It was 2022. We should extend him. We should trade him. What are you thinking on that front?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's the concept of an outlier, right? It's, you know, you have 20 or 2019, 2020, 2021. were really, really good. 2022 is really, really bad. 2022 was, or 2023 was just like 2019 through 2021. So the concept of a statistical outlier is exactly that, you know, whether it's just mechanics never really got there or whatever you want to say was part of Giulio's issues last year. The reality is it's looking like he can put that in the rearview mirror. Are there still things that he's not doing exactly the same as before 2022? Yeah. Spin rates are down. Average VLO is a little bit down but he's still putting up the results that go along with being a top pitcher in the league. I, I think the idea that, you know, he's going to evolve into an ace, which was something I definitely bought into. I think that's kind of more, if he's a solid two or three, um, which is okay. There's nothing wrong with that as a ball player, but you don't find those guys just very easily guys who can be a two or a solid three very easily. You don't want to necessarily trade those guys away. In this case, it might be worthwhile to do so, but you also have the understanding that, hey, you can bring him back at the end of this year, get something for him and still bring him back. That's the type of approach I'd like to see here, where, again, with only Cease and Kopech available heading into next year, you know, Clevenger's on an option, Lynn's on an option, probably neither of those are getting picked up. Who's pitching next year? And someone like him could be a stable force, um, in the middle of the White Sox rotation for years to come, if, if they really wanted
0: to go that route. I agree. It'll be interesting to see what comes up there. Andrew Vaughn also gets talked about. I would say there are numbers that support that he's a really, really good hitter. He's productive. He hits home runs. He produces RBIs. Then there are some statistics that make it look like maybe he's not that – you know, all-star first baseman that the Sox thought they were getting when they drafted him third overall. He was probably the best power bat in his draft. What's going on with Andrew Vaughn in your head?
1: I think the criticisms of Vaughn are absolutely fair. You know, putting up a 110 to 115 WRC plus, you know, 15 percentage points above league average. That's really good. The problem is at first base, that's kind of just average. You have to take the positional aspect into it when you're really evaluating what Andrew Vaughn is giving the White Sox when you come to, you know, what's up with Andrew Vaughn in terms of maybe not hitting that ceiling that everyone thinks he has, you know, look at Spencer Torkelson for the tigers. When you are a bat first guy, a bat first, first baseman, you, you got to do a lot of hitting to hit that ceiling. Some guys do, some guys don't. Um, if Vaughn can just be a decent production player, does that justify the number three pick overall? Probably not, but that's still a good pick. Um, Does the fact that he spent the last couple years playing outfield and never really developed in the minors make a difference? Maybe. For some players, it probably will. For some others, it probably won't. But I don't think you can rule that out by any sense of the word. Um, But with him in totality, it's more so like he's a good ball player. He is giving the White Sox meaningful at-bats. He's doing a pretty good job. But it's not unfair to expect more from not only a third overall draft pick, but someone who is a bat-first first baseman.
0: For sure. Do the White Sox get any blame in your mind for what's gone on with Andrew Vaughn? Like, you know, like you said, not much time in the no, no time in the minors. The COVID all that took over. Um, do they get any blame?
1: I think any time a player doesn't develop the way cuz cuz here's the it's a larger question about the entirety of the White Sox rebuild when you ask something like that. Eloy Jimenez, top 5 prospect. Yoan Moncada, top 5 prospect. Andrew Vaughn was, I believe 20s or 30s, I believe. Um which Giolito was up there. Don't Cease was up there. When not everybody pans out, and especially those guys who were in the top five, like like um both Jimenez and of were when those guys don't pan out exactly how you want, very rarely do places like Baseball America or, or Prospects Live, those guys who do the rankings, rare, very rarely do they miss badly. the the one we all think of is like jerks and profile. That's the last time they really missed badly on those top guys. Now you have to say, okay, if everybody agreed, these were top prospects and they're only becoming average major league contributors. Now it's like, did everybody, did every single person who evaluates prospect prospects miss did, or did every single one of these prospects fail? It's like, where the exact question is, yeah, you almost have to look at the team and their development plan and say, there's no reason it should have panned out this way. What are you doing within the organization that led to these results? Because very rarely do they get all of these people wrong, or, or do they all become just average guys? Um, you have your wins. I think mostly on the pitching side, guys like Cease and Copex getting there. is absolutely a win. But especially on the position player side, again, they don't – big-time prospect analyzers don't miss – that often to where it's like you have to look internally as a franchise
0: for sure. And Luis Robert Jr. He was up near the top of those lists too. I think there was a point where he was the number three overall prospect in baseball. And so far this season, he's had a clean bill of health, knock on wood um and he's been an all-star. In fact, he's been a top 10 player in almost every, you know, war metric and all sorts of different offensive statistics. He's great defensively. He's going to the All-Star game to represent the White Sox. What do you think of his 2023 season and can it continue? I think that's one of
1: those development paths, you know, it seems like they got it right. It took a lot of time, but it seems like they got it right. Um so it's, it's absolutely a win for the franchise in that respect. I think I've caught a lot of heat on twitter in terms of things i've said about robert i think he's having a great season i I think he's having an all-star top five player in baseball season i think there if there's one step you want to see him take and he started to take don't get me wrong it's better plate discipline those sliders three four feet off the plate don't swing at those don't even offer it them. he's actually really looked like that recently if you can maintain like a seven eight percent walk rate as a guy like that Like you are more than doing your job with the amount of production he's putting up right now. That's sort of that next level step I wanted to see him take. Um, And people are like, oh, you're being too negative. Just enjoy him. It's like, I get it. I'm enjoying him as much as any other Sox fan is. And and I do think this is the sort of season that can continue if you can make those sort of play discipline adjustments. Because eventually the league's going to readjust back to you. How do you adjust back to them? It's that consistent cat and mouse, like game to your, game theory type game where it's like, you know, they're going to adjust to what you're doing. How do you adjust to what they adjusted to you doing and things like that?
0: I love that. Were you happy or mad when you found out he was going to the home run derby?
1: I don't buy that. And I'd have to do more research on it. I don't buy the fact that players like who go into the all-star game or excuse me, into the home run derby, um, like it affects their swing or whatever it's just like taking an extended round of batting practice. Like these guys don't go up there really during batting practice and try and like hit singles to the opposite field that that's off season practice type stuff. It doesn't bother me all that much. To be honest, I think it's cool. Uh, I think it's something where fans should be excited to see another one of their guys on the national stage like that. Cause the team really hasn't put themselves there. Um, I, I think if he starts to struggle, it will be the natural thing for people to blame, but I think there will be more under the hood. Um, Than just participating in the Homer Derby. If he ends up struggling, I hope he doesn't. Um, Just because it's very, it's something that's very exciting for fans.
0: Yeah, we're like-minded on that. I agree. I'm excited to see Robert, you know, kind of be one of those guys. Like when he first came up, everyone was like, Mike Trout, you know, top player in baseball. Can Luis Robert Jr. get there? At mm-hmm. least be like an A-tier player if he's not an S-tier player. He deserves this kind of recognition. I'm excited for him. It's going to be fun to watch. Um, people talk about Eloy Jimenez in a bunch of different ways, and you touched on him um, a little bit earlier, you know, back when he was a top prospect in baseball. I saw on Twitter he's got similar slash lines to Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's in the All-Star Game and the Home Run Derby injuries have played a huge part in his development and his major league career and getting on the field. And some of it is freak accident stuff. Some of it is, was very preventable, especially the early outfield injuries that he sustained a couple years ago. But I mean, I feel like Eloy Jimenez is one 20 game stretch away from people really seeing what he can do as well. And he's kind of already started.
1: Yeah. If he stays on the field, it's absolutely something that he can do. I think that's been the biggest thing for Sox fans over the course of the past three, four years is can he stay on the field? If he can stay on the field, great. Let's put him on there and let's put him in the center of this um, lineup. Like that's where he belongs. If he can't, then is he just taking up a roster spot over someone? And we need to kind of readjust in terms of, I say, we more so the White Sox need to readjust in terms of how they consider him part of the future. If you can't rely on a guy, the best ability is availability. Like, If you can only rely on him for 80 to 100 games, is that enough to justify the production you get? While it's still great production, is 80 to 100 games enough of it? I don't know. I think that's a question for the White Sox to ultimately answer probably this offseason once they kind of reshuffle the deck.
0: For sure. And a player that came over with Jimenez from the Cubs, Dylan Cease, Obviously, he had an all-world season last year, second in the Cy Young voting, only to Justin Verlander, who's a Hall of Famer that had a legendary late year, late career year. Um, you could probably get a haul for him in a trade, or you could sign him long-term. Where do you stand on Dylan Cease? I mean, you're Dylan Cease with glasses, according to your Twitter bio. Where do you stand on him? So,
1: Ozzie Gian once said that when we were doing for Saxon 35th, some of the NBC sports, um, like... The WebEx updates for a time they did last year, he goes, it's Dylan Cease with glasses. And I've ran with that.
0: That's amazing. Uh-huh.
1: So I, I've enjoyed that. But um, in, in terms of Dylan Cease, I, I've been one of his biggest fans. I love his stuff. And I think, you know, the step back he's taken this year is just in part just not, again, not every player is going to have a Cy Young type season every year. Now you'd expect a little bit more from him. And he's starting to get to that point. Um, But he's he's at the point of his career where now establishing consistency is the big thing to do. Any team that looks at him is going to be like, we can fix whatever things we see are wrong with him right now. Every team is going to be like, I see the raw talent. I I see the raw numbers in terms of, if you're deep into the analytics, like spin rate, movement, spin direction, all this stuff. They see them like, we can fix that. Like every player one, every team wants talented raw players that they can work with. Um, and Cease is no different. He would get a haul if the SAC decided to trade him. I don't think with two years left on his deal after this one, that it necessarily makes sense to trade him. Um, it actually might be three years. I'd have to check. He either has two or three years after this year. I would wait and see what direction you look like you're heading into the second half of 2024. If they are unable to turn this around and be like, Hey, like even if 2024 is like a bridge year, Um, where it's like, hey, we think we're going to compete in 2025. Great, let's keep him. If there's no outlook of that, then there's no point in keeping him next year. I think keeping him now at least sets the expectation that, hey, we expect in the near future to still maximize Cease, Robert, Jimenez, Vaughn, while they're on the contracts that they are. I think as soon as you trade him, you've kind of waved the white flag on this wave of players. Like, all right, we got to start moving things around.
0: For sure. Now, you're really big into prospects, and I know a lot of White Sox fans keep in touch with, like, you know, the top guys. Everybody knows who Oscar Colas is. Everybody knows who Colson Montgomery is. Noah Schultz, local kid who was drafted last year. But who are some of your favorite prospects that might be considered underrated or lesser known to the average White Sox fan?
1: I think some of the guys that kind of appeal to me, especially on the hitting side, are guys who Seem like they have good approaches. Uh, Brian Ramos is certainly one of them. Third baseman in Birmingham. I, I think one that's one of the more well-known names. Uh, but he's been hurt. He was hurt to start this year, ha- has since come back, and is really starting to tear it up in, in A. Terrell Tatum's another name. This is not someone who is highly touted at all. Um, I think a sixth or seventh-round draft pick uh, in the past recent years by the White Sox ha- has a ton of speed and has finally gotten promoted to A, starting to hit a ton. And works really good at bats, walks a ton. Um, those types of guys at the top of the lineup are valuable. They might have found a gem in, in someone like him. Um, on the pitching side, someone like, if you want to go to like the lower minor league, someone like Shane Murphy, lefty in Kannapolis, one of the more recent draft pick, one of more recent uh, draft classes, starting to make a name for himself. Still very, very early on, starting to make a name for himself. Um, Ryan Burrows, who's in the ACL right now. He's a middle infielder. Again, a small sort of 700,000 signing bonus type guy internationally who's really starting to make a name for himself. I think some of the guys on our site would be mad if I didn't mention Christian Mena, uh, also in double A guy who seems to be one of the top pitching prospects for the White Sox, if not the top pitching prospect outside of Noah Schultz, um, guys like Sean Burke, Davis Martin, we've heard those names, been injured, dealing with injuries. There's there's still some intriguing names down there if you, if you look deep enough at the double-A box scores or even the high-A single-A box scores. There's enough intriguing names to be like, hey, maybe this organization is starting to make a change in terms of highly developed players, but it's still a long road for all of these guys um, when it comes to... You know, is there a major league future for them?
0: For sure. I, I'm i excited to hear that because a lot of times when people think of the White Sox prospect farm, it's very negative. They're in the bottom five. They're in the bottom 10, whatever, whatever, whatever. Well, we got a draft coming up this weekend and the White Sox are going to make the 15th overall pick. Is there anybody that you're looking at that you would love to see the White Sox take 15th overall? I know that's kind of hard to predict since it's the middle of the round. Like it could probably go in any direction after pick 10-ish, but I mean, I don't know. The, the MLB draft is much more of a crapshoot than any other sport.
1: Yeah, the 15th overall pick is hard. I think who you want kind of depends on what your feeling of a draft philosophy is, quote unquote. And what I mean by that is are you someone who likes to jump on the high ceiling prep player? So drafting out of high school. Those are super risky players. I think the Sox dove directly into the riskiest of categories, the prep pitchers, by taking Noah Schultz. He wasn't on anybody's map. There, there was not a site around that was like, oh yeah, the Sox are probably considering Noah Schultz. That, that's why it's like, it's hard to predict these drafts. Um, alternatively, are you someone who wants to see them go for a more proven, it's not a great word, but proven commodity in a college player? Um, There are plenty of college pitchers who are still likely going to be on the board at that time. Plenty of college hitters who are going to be on the board at that time. Who you like probably depends on what your overall draft strategy or draft philosophy is. For me, in in past seasons, I've been like, especially when you're at the highest tier of picks, get the, the most known entity asset possible in in terms of players like get those college guys who have really stood out but then you see them flame out like the nick madrigals or andrew vaughn not totally hitting his ceiling yet or you have the other side where it's like hey you're drafting later in the first round you're drafting later in the first round because you're in a really good position in the major leagues that means you've won a lot of games so you can take those risks on prep players and sure enough the Sox did that 22nd colson montgomery and now he's one of their top prospects it's like it's the crapshoot of like, yeah, you had those top draft picks. You picked those for sure college guys that weren't really for sure college guys. And then you drafted 22nd. You said, Hey, we'll take a risk on a guy who's a prep player and they're your top prospect right now. That's the general crapshoot for me. I, I think I would prefer the white Sox to go prep players just simply because I don't love the college options right now. I think there's, especially when you get to fifteen. None of these guys are like can't miss type guys. You'd almost rather take a middle infield shortstop um, that's a prep player and see if you can develop them. You can't have enough middle infield prospects.
0: For sure. I'm excited to see what they do. Now, other than – or speaking of being excited to see them do things, it sounds to me, probably sounds to you too, like they might be sellers in terms of people on a one-year deal. Like there's the debates about Gilito and Anderson and, you know – even a guy like Dylan Cease, I'm sure there are going to be teams looking at him. Even if the White Sox don't decide to trade those types of players, they might look to move Liam Hendricks if he's healthy. Joe Kelly, Lance Lynn. Do you think they can get anything of significance here with some of these guys? Unfortunately, I don't. you don't see huge hauls
1: during the trade deadline unless it's for guys with multiple years left on their contract. I think the guy who's going to get the best return is probably going to be Giolito. Giolito, you might get a back half top 100 prospect. And by, by back half, I mean like 90th or above. Like guys who are barely making the list or guys who may have just barely missed uh, the top 100 list. I think those are guys that you might get a guy out of that. Like between the Orioles and between the Reds, I think there are enough guys there that it might make sense but other than that like you're if you want and if you want that type of player you're probably going to have to package a reliever with it just because a eight starts of Lucas Giolito is not necessarily enough to justify trading a top 100 prospect it gets you in the door but you're going to have to sweeten the deal somehow and maybe a Joe Kelly or a Kendall Graveman especially does that um other than that it's going to be a lot of lottery tickets, a lot of wild cards, some that might be, like, 18 years old out of the Dominican. Others might be 25-year-olds that, like, you're trying to salvage their arm and say, hey, you've got a lot of raw talent. You look at guys like, have a ton of strikeouts but a ton of walks, and let's see if we can teach them how to throw strikes. Those are the types of players you get um, at the trade deadline, especially for rentals. I don't think they're going to be able to do a ton, But it's still better than letting these guys walk for nothing at the end of the year.
0: For sure. Very cool. So clearly you love baseball. And I think that's very admirable. You're very thoughtful and candid with your answers. And I appreciate that. Obviously, you put a lot of time into the White Sox. But are there any other teams that you kind of like, you know, let your hair down a little bit and just enjoy for fun? Are there other teams you enjoy watching?
1: So the Rays are a team I love following just because... um, how they operate is really interesting. I think it's a team that, you know, there's a ton of turnover every year, but somehow they always have the proper development plan for these guys. And I think that's the sort of gold standard in terms of what you should be striving for. There's a reason the Dodgers, the Red Sox, all of these good teams go and just nab as many Rays executives or Rays analysts as they can, because it's, what are they doing that we aren't doing? What can we learn? Um, The Rays are certainly one of those teams. I think the Cardinals usually would be the National League equivalent for me. Not this year, obviously. The Cardinals are just really struggling this year. Um, They're a team that, again, quietly is just always knocking on the door of the playoffs or in the playoffs. You know, that's the sort of gold standard of, you know, it's not maybe reaching the highs of the Yankees every year. But you can consistently count on good development, smart drafts, savvy trades to that. You're in the hunt every single season, which is what you should want as a baseball fan. You don't really see the Cardinals rebuild. That's why this year is so crazy for them. Um, Those are two of the teams. I I like both of them just because there's strong development plans that are clearly put in place. And the results are the fact that they're consistently competing. They're consistently near the top of the standings every year. I think this year's fun team is probably the diamondbacks. I think everyone's kind of jumping on that bandwagon but in terms of like teams, I look at are kind of like study not the right word, but study. Um, it's definitely the Rays and the Cardinals are two of those. teams.
0: We just got breaking news that Joe Kelly is on the 15-day injured list with right elbow inflammation. Is that's not something we saw coming, right?
1: No, and unfortunately, that probably means uh, probably scratch Joe Kelly off that uh, trade list. So yes, and Graveman just became a little bit more expendable in terms of what the White Sox might be doing. Cause if they maybe wanted to keep him around for that third year of the deal, I don't think they're going to be able to now, simply because like you don't have another really tradable asset. Um, You might get something for bummer. You really don't want to trade Santos. I think those are the types of guys you build a bullpen around, but you could trade him if the deal is right. Um, Yeah, that's unfortunate about Kelly, not just for him personally, but also for the White Sox as they're trying to make decisions uh, come trade deadline
0: time. Yeah, absolutely. It definitely makes things harder. So to wrap it up, I'll ask you one more final question. Whether it's Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, obviously we know the status of Jerry Reinsdorf as the owner of the team, Pedro Grafal as the manager. Do you have a prediction on the future of the White Sox, or do you kind of just think like they're going to run it back again like they always do, kind of?
1: I do think they're going to run it back again. Um, I've teetered on the fence of whether or not they hire a new GM. I think the reality is the more you look at the team, the more you look at maybe what has gone wrong. There, there's two really different ways of looking at it. Let's look at it from the free agency standpoint. I think the Machado debacle is probably the best example of, you know, this goes beyond Rick Hahn because you know, you might not think he's the smartest guy in the world. And That's fine. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, at least maybe I'm naive. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind, though, that he knew exactly what it was going to take to get Machado. I don't think he was outbid or outmaneuvered by the Padres. I think there was just a number that he was not going to be allowed to hit. So he had to get creative with all the incentives and the basically stay healthy stuff. That was all again. It's a debacle for a reason. I think that's the fir- that's one of the best signs that this goes beyond, that this goes up the chain beyond the GM. And you also look at it from a development perspective. You know, who, who do you want put in charge of the development plan? I think if they're going to overhaul anything, I'd rather them overhaul those in charge of the player development because that's where the White Sox lack the most. You're in a situation as a team where you're not allowed to spend at those top of the top tier contracts. Don't tell me about the payroll. We see how they got there. And it wasn't by signing top tier free agents. So you're not allowed to sign at the top of the free tier. That means you really got to hit your prospects and the development people aren't doing a great job just simply based on the, the prospects coming through. Because of that, it it highlights Rickon's greatest weakness, which is those mid tier finding those right mid tier contracts. He's done a good job with guys like Rondal, and even Benintendi was a good one. Lynn was a good one. You sometimes you do well, sometimes you really don't. It just it, it depends on who you want to blame for it all. Do you want to sit back and say yes? At the end of the day, Rick Hahn is responsible for putting those people in player development, so he should be the one ultimately held responsible. Sure, you can do that. You can also look at it and say, you know, Chris Getz is in charge of the farm. Why would I want to promote him to GM? It's because I don't think the Sox would go outside to to hire a new GM necessarily. I think we've seen the White Sox tend to be fairly insular, uh, especially when it comes to their upper level management. It's my long-winded way of saying it's like, I don't know what, what do you change here? It's been the long age old question. Who do you blame? And I think the White Sox, like it such that you don't know who really to blame for what's going on on the field. You have to blame the players hundred percent. That's where it starts. Then you have to blame the roster construction. Then you have to blame the upper management. You you have to figure out who owns the right shares of the blame. And the reason we have this conversation consistently as Sox fans and never really agree is because we don't know where the blame falls. And that's exactly kind of how they want it. It's kind of how the organization operates. I'm sure they're not the only organization that operates like that, But because they operate like this, it's kind of how we have to deal. So it's a long-winded way of saying, I don't know. I think they run it back and maybe make some development overhauls. But I don't know what the right answer is other than just everything's got to go. Everybody's got it. From ownership changes all the way down to your area scouts, everything would have to go. And I don't think they're in a position to do to
0: do that Absolutely. You just kind of made me have a realization. I can't think of another fan base who's more clueless on who to blame for their team's struggles than the White Sox. I mean, you know, yeah, most Yankee fans, I feel like they hate Brian Cashman for whatever reason. Like, you know, Cubs fans are starting to get annoyed with David Ross a little bit, but nobody's necessarily blaming Jed Hoyer for anything right now. Like, it's just seems like the White Sox fans, you got this corner of White Sox Twitter that thinks it's Rick, Rick fault. There's this corner of White Sox Twitter that still hates Tony LaRusso even though he's been gone for close to a full calendar year if you include the end of last season. So that's actually a really good answer. I appreciate that.
1: And, I mean, everybody hates their GM. Like, unless you're winning 100 games a year, everybody hates their GM. Their yeah. GM's not doing enough. Their GM got fleeced on this deal. I don't think – I mean, Sox fans loved A.J. Preller but I don't think A.J. Preller is feeling particularly comfortable in his GM chair right now based on the Padres. It's hard to do that job. And the reality is uh, he, he every GM, every one of the 30 GMs is a figurehead for that role. It goes well beyond them, though. And, and I think identifying the root of the issue it is still not where the conversations get with White Sox fans, simply because it's hard to get to that root. It's like you got to blame development, but you also got to blame ownership, but you also have to blame the GM, but you also have to blame the players. And there's no like it's just this giant web of it doesn't you don't know where the blame necessarily lies. So I think it ultimately always goes up as high up the chain as possible. That's in professional sports. That's in a company. Baseball is a business just like any other business you or I work for. It always goes as far up the chain as possible, but there are always links within that chain that aren't necessarily perfect. And I think that's where Sox fans start to have those disagreements on
0: who to blame. Absolutely. Jordan, this has been an incredible interview. You've given us so much of your time. I appreciate you more than, you know, I, I I feel like I study the white Sox a lot and I don't know half of what, you know, like you're 10 times smarter than me. And I appreciate you coming and expanding some of that knowledge to our fan base. It's been so fun. Let everybody know where they can find you, where they can read your stuff and what you got going on with Sox 35th. Um, You have two chances to win Sox math today. You'll probably at least win one of them. Talk about all that.
1: Yeah. I'm trying to debate whether or not I'm going to watch the second game to see if I want to play Sox math today. Um, (laughs) So my Twitter handle at Jay 14 ton of just, I I've gone from just strictly analytical stuff to analytics. Plus I have my fun every once in a while. Um, Sox on 35th is doing a ton of great stuff. We've got a huge staff over there. Um, they all work hard. They all have very varying opinions across the spectrum. If you're looking for sort of a spectrum of opinions, they're all great people to kind of read and learn from. Um, Diamond Digest is the other site I help run. I'm the editor-in-chief there. That's more baseball everywhere. So if you're someone looking for more than just White Sox talk, that's certainly a place to go. I always want to shout them out because they do great work too. Um, and because I'm so White sock centric, it's like every all a lot of my attention gets pushed to Sox on 35th, but they're doing a great job on Diamond Digest, too. I think Peyton and everybody over there deserves the credit there. Um, overall, I'm, I'm excited about the work we do. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate the kind words and any of the work you do. Just you're you kind of got your toes in everything. Um, and, and I think that. The, the different ways in which you're bringing content to Sox fans is certainly needed. And I think the passion always shows in what you do. So I appreciate you having me on.
0: Absolutely. We'll have you back on again. You know, as Rick Hahn says, we got some damage to do in October. We all totally believe him and fully buy into that. And I can't wait to have you on again, Jordan. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Vinny. Take care. Absolutely. Everybody, we will send you to a quick commercial break. He could be a pocket passer. Some of the stuff I have uh, again, I to get ready for tonight, I was rewatching the last half of the season and I see it, it's there. Like it needs to be developed and brought out, but he's a pocket passer. He's a thrower of the football. And again, he was my QB two coming out. I remain a huge fan of his game. I wanna see him get to where he can be because I think he could be special in this league. The athleticism is great and it helps him solve problems and he can help that team win games. But what he can do from the pocket and the potential that's there from the pocket is what's going to make him a great one. Welcome back to Crosstown Crosstalk. I can't thank Jordan Lazowski from Sox on Thirty Fifth enough for coming on our show. Listen, smart, smart, smart dude. When it comes to talking about the White Sox and what they, you know, do or don't do well, I, I, I'm not smart enough to take on the analytical approach. I try very hard to take on the analytical approach, and you know, we do an okay job. But when it comes to talking to someone like that you realize how dumb you actually are because jordan is just so smart so i can't thank him enough very candid very thoughtful so we can't wait to have him back on um later no not later this week on monday the home run derby is going to take place in major league baseball and one good thing about What's going on in the Chicago White Sox season has been the play of Luis Robert Jr. He is second in the American League, only to Shohei Ohtani in home runs. So he is actually the number one seed in the 2023 Home Run Derby, and he will be battling in the first round against Baltimore Orioles catcher Adley Rushman. That is just... That is just a great matchup between two young studs. I can't wait to watch them duke it out. I don't know if they're going to go first. They're, they're top left in the bracket on MLB.com, but, you know, we'll see wh- where the matchups go and how they actually go about it. But the winner of that matchup is going to play Adolis Garcia of the Texas Rangers and Randy Arozarena of the Tampa Bay Rays. Arozarena is one of the most electrifying players in all of baseball, but Garcia is sneaky good at hitting home runs in this league. And I can't wait to see who comes out of that matchup. Then you flip on over to the other side and you have the guy who has won two out of the last three home run derbies in Peter Alonso of the New York Mets going up against one of the MLB's greatest sensations over the last two years. And that's Jose or not Jose Julio Rodriguez of the Seattle Mariners. You know, one of the another great exciting young players that's competing in this thing, It's going to be hard for Rodriguez to take down a guy like Alonzo who knows what it takes to win the home run derby and keep these, you know, that type of competition going. Like it depends. There are a lot of great home run hitters in the league, but Peter Alonzo, he knows what it's like to battle the clock and the pitcher that he'll be facing and all that. And then in the bottom right, you have what is my favorite matchup of the entire thing and Vladimir Guerrero Jr. of the. Toronto Blue Jays going up against Mookie Betts of the Los Angeles Dodgers. Mookie Betts is one of the seven or eight best players in Major League Baseball, in my opinion. He might even be higher than that. And then Vladimir Guerrero Jr., he's just been a home run hitting machine for the last couple years. Kind of a down start to this year based on his standards, but I don't think there's any doubt in anybody's mind that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is just an incredible home run hitter and deserves to be in this competition this year. So we'll see if our guy, Luis Robert Jr., is able to um, make a name for himself nationally because I think baseball fans across the country that might not know much about him deserve to know a little bit more about him because he truly is one of the best players in the league. And I'm excited to see where it goes for him this year. He's in the same league as Otani. So there's no way he wins MVP or anything like that. Otani, he's he's crazy. Like, he hits home runs and he strikes people out. Like, that guy's winning the MVP, but we'll see what happens with Robert. Um, They want to know what changed Luis Robert's mind about joining the home run derby? I have no idea. He said, I don't want to do it like a week ago. And then yesterday, I got a little hint, hint sent to me that Robert Jr. was, in fact, going to be in the home run derby. And, of course, I don't have, like, Jeff Passon type um reputation or anything like that so nobody believed me at first but it is true he's playing in the home run derby and that's that's exciting and I'm excited to see what he can do so I'm kind of happy he changed his mind I'm with Jordan I don't think it's anything more than extended batting practice in terms of changing your swing or anything like that like let's think about some of the previous winners Juan Soto Juan Soto is one of the best players in the league. He won it last year. He didn't stop being one of the best players in the league either. Peter Alonzo won it twice. He's one of the league's top home run hitters since all that uh, is Bryce Harper. Did he? Did his swing get messed up? He won it. You know, just it doesn't seem like something that makes a lot of sense to me in terms of you know saying guys are just going to be terrible. If Luis Robert Jr. is terrible in the second half, it'll just be this more of the same from last year where he was really good in the first half and terrible in the second half. It will have nothing to do with the Home Run Derby. I'm pretty confident in saying that. And in addition to competing in the Home Run Derby, Luis Robert Jr. will also be the White Sox lone representative in the MLB All-Star game that will take place one day later next Tuesday. Very excited to see Lou Bob play for um, the American League All-Stars. I'm not sure if they announced a replacement in the starting lineup for Mike Trout or Aaron Judge, who were both voted in but are both injured and going to be missing the event. It wouldn't shock me at all if they start Robert Jr. in center field or right field. Um, That would be really cool to see. I'm not sure if that's out and I'm looking like an idiot right now, but he's definitely deserving of consideration on that front. And then for the Chicago Cubs, I know we got some Cubs fans watching. Um, They're sending three people to the All-Star game, three well-deserved candidates for this game. Dansby Swanson, I know he was dealing with a little bit of an injury bug there. I hope he's okay to play. the all-star game that would be really cool to see he's been one of the best shortstops in major league baseball this season and the cubs are proving like hey this is why you spend money sometimes because you can get a guy like dansby swanson to come in and do really good things so credit to him um and then they got two starting pitchers that are making it to the all-star game justin Steele, who had a marvelous game this week um he is going to be an all-star and he's probably the most deserving to maybe even start the all-star game. And I know he's like the, the least known name out of everybody that the Cubs are sending, but Justin Steele, man, he's having an outstanding season, deserves to be an all-star. And then uh, Marcus Strowman. Marcus Strowman has been the Cubs ace this season, even though Steele's numbers are a tad better. Strowman obviously has the larger body of work. So I think that's why he gets a little bit more notoriety. He's been a great pitcher in this league for a long time. So three really, really good, options for the Cubs in the all-star game. Both sides of town are going to be able to watch stars shine next week on Monday and Tuesday as they participate in the major league baseball all-star game Um, and home run derby. I wanted to really quickly, I know we have an Otani segment on every single show. I just really wanted to uh, touch on him just a tad here. I know he's dealing with a blister on his pitching hand right now, so he's probably not going to pitch in the all-star game. I'm not sure if that means he won't hit, I'm sure there's a chance that he hits, which is nice, um, but obviously you want to see Shohei Otani participate in the Home Run Derby to some capacity, so um, very excited about that. And then the last person I wanted to touch on before we end today's show is Matt Olson. Holy crap. They... The Atlanta Braves get Matt Olson after losing Freddie Freeman in free agency to the Los Angeles Dodgers. And what does he do? He becomes basically as productive as Freddie Freeman. Yesterday he hit his 29th home run of the season, which is second in the major leagues only to Otani. Um, obviously he plays in the National League. Um, so he, I, so he leads the National League in home runs and he's just got a cool 70 RBIs before the All-Star break hits. I mean, to have 70 RBIs before the All-Star break, that's insanity. That's insane. So credit to Matt Olson for playing so well for the Atlanta Braves this season. He's a huge reason that they are in first place in the NL East and one of the best teams in Major League Baseball. If you haven't watched the Braves yet this season, check them out. They're just absolutely unreal. They have Ronald Acuna Jr. who has 40 stolen bases already. They're talking about him having a 40-80 season, 40 home runs and 80 stolen bases. That would just be absolutely insanity. That'd be unlike anything we've seen in this league in a really long time. A guy with that much power stealing that many bases. I know Otani probably could do that that if he wanted to. But I think the Angels kind of hold him back from the base stealing just a tad, even though he's really, really fast because of the fact that out of every play in Major League Baseball, stealing a base is probably one of the higher likelihood of getting hurt. And the Angels just don't need that for Otani with everything else that he brings to the table besides offense. You know, he pitches, he's their ace of their staff. So obviously really important to keep him healthy as well. But Baseball's in good hands right now. There's lots of great talent going on around the league, and I highly encourage everybody to keep up with the MLB All-Star game and what we got going on with that next week, um, either during or after. We haven't set a time um, for it yet, like set in stone, but South Barb Sittman is still going to go on Monday, and I don't know if we, uh, if we have – live reactions or if we're going to be doing a post game of the home run derby with Luis Robert Jr. Maybe if he's in the finals, we'll start it early. Um, We're we're thinking about 830 PM central time, which would make a lot of sense. I think that'd be like really good. Like if Luis Robert Jr is in the final, we'll probably be live for it. So I think that would be really, really fun to engage with people. If he was competing in the finals of the home run derby, that would obviously be really, really cool to kind of live stream it a little bit and talk over it and discuss what's going on with the White Sox, extend the conversation that took place here on this show. Um, I can't thank Jordan Lazowski of Sox on 35th enough for coming on the show. It's been a blast talking White Sox and kind of, he made me feel a little bit better about the team, to be honest with you. I thought I was going to leave today uh, feeling even worse about the White Sox than I came in. Well, he actually, he was a bright, a shining light of, you know, fresh air, for White Sox fans, I would say maybe this thing isn't as doomy and gloomy as it seems, or maybe it is. I guess we'll see. We'll find out over time. Um, but I can't thank everybody enough for joining the show today. It means a lot to me for the support and You know, whether you're watching on Facebook, YouTube, listening later on the Apple, Spotify, I appreciate each and every one of you very much. Again, catch us on South Hitman on Monday night. You can also see me and Frank Mueller dissect what's going on in the NHL. I know news season is starting to die down a little bit in the NHL. Like we're firmly going to be in the off season by next Wednesday. So we got some fun things planned for the show. Hockey, both hockey related and non-hockey related. And then right back here next Thursday, Crosstown, Crosstalk, very, very you know, much looking forward to all the shows here at the Barroom Network. So make sure, click the little little bell on YouTube so you can always be notified when we're going live. Um, lots of great programming on this show, on this network, as you saw with the commercial. Football's coming up soon. Training camp is right around the corner. So um, very much looking forward to hearing about all that with all of you. As always, thank you for listening. Another happy landing. <laughs>